I believe that each of us has a scripture passage, maybe a piece of poetry, a prose, maybe a lyric of a song that speaks to us in such a way that defines who we are and what we believe about ourselves, God, relationships, the world. So what are those words, those defining phrases that support you, that define who you are and what you believe? I have several from Scripture, no surprise, that do this for me. Colossians 3, 12, 17, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion and kindness, lowliness, meekness, and patience. Matthew 6, 25, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin, Yet I tell you, God, in all wonder. Psalm 139, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my soul. There are others. But when it comes to lyrics in musical theater, there was only one line that has stayed with me from the very first time I ever heard it. Now, many of you have heard me repeat these words both at weddings and funerals. For they speak to me my understanding of faith in the Incarnation. They are from the closing scene and the finale of Les Miserables. Listen now. To love another person is to see the face of God. My friends, the image we reflect is the very likeness, the mirror image of this mystery we call God. This life force dwells within us, within all of us. Listen now to our gospel reading from the 22nd chapter of St. Matthew The beginning at the 15th verse, it's printed if you'd like to follow along. Then the Pharisees went and plotted to entrap Jesus and what he said. They sent the disciples to him along with Herodians saying, Teacher, we know that you are sincere and teach the way of God in accordance with truth. And you show no deference to anyone, for you do not regard people with partiality. Tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why are you putting me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the tax. They brought him a denarius. Then he said to them, Whose head is this and whose title? They answered, The emperor's. He said to them, Give therefore to the emperor the things that are the emperor's and to God the things that are God's. When they heard this, they were amazed, and they left him and went away. In this reason, in this reading, Jesus is asked what appears on the surface a very simple and sincere question. Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor? 
The question, however, involves a host of more complicated sub-questions knitted together like a very intricate weaving, and in the complexity of the hidden questions lies a trap. Rabbi, whose law takes priority in the life of the citizen? Can one be a faithful Jew and a loyal subject at the same time? Does one follow both Tiberius Caesar and the Torah, or one or the other? Tell us, Jesus, we're wondering. This question posed a dilemma. If Jesus said it was unlawful to pay the tax, the Roman government could charge him with sedition and treason. On the other hand, if he said that a faithful Jew ought to pay the tax, then the Pharisees would have evidence to discredit his teachings and his faithfulness. To a Jew, God alone is sovereign. And to pay a tax to an earthly ruler would be to admit the validity of the emperor, thus insulting God and diminishing God. The dilemma is set, and Jesus, being the rabbi that he was, springs the trap. Give me a coin, he says. And the fact that they could produce a coin was really a gotcha, since devout Jews would not have carried anything, even currency, with an image on it. Remember the three, the first three of the Ten Commandments? I am the Holy One, your God. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no graven images or likenesses. Jesus, not going there about why did you even have a coin, simply asks, whose impression and inscription is on it? The emperors, they replied. Some translations say Caesar's. If the coin is Caesar's, the emperors then give it to the emperor. Is this the same Jesus that we have come to know? The Jesus that predicted the difficulty for the rich to enter the commonwealth of God? Is this the same Jesus who advised the seeker to sell all in order to be a true disciple? Is this the same Jesus who praised the widow for her unselfish devotion at the table? It is. It is the same Jesus. But is he now saying that what we do with our money doesn't really matter? Not at all. Those who were questioning him were totally bewildered, amazed, our translation today says, by what he had just said, and they had no response. They were speechless, so they left. Give to Caesar that which bears the image of Caesar, and give to God that which bears the image of God. Do we get what it means to bear the image of God? As Henry Nouwen wrote and is printed in your opening reflection in the liturgy this morning, where is the glory of God? If the glory of God is not there where I am, where we are, where else can it be? You and I are the place where God chose to dwell. We are the topus tutheu, God's place. Which means we are carriers of the very image of the Holy One. If we really get, I mean really get, 
that we are God's place. Where the very likeness of the God of the universe has chosen to dwell, we need to ask ourselves, what is the image then that we reflect to others? Our loved ones, our colleagues, those we don't like very well, strangers. If we're a Democrat, what do we reflect to a Republican? If we're a Republican, what do we reflect to a Democrat? If we're black, what's our reflection to white folks and vice versa? If we're gay to straight people, if we're straight to non-gender conforming people, yes, the list is very, very, very broad. What is this image we reflect? The word image in English, in Greek, is icon. And an icon is a window through which we're able to see the divine. What kind of window are we? In a sense, we are God's currency. Each of us being imprinted with the very image of the one whom we call holy. So we bear and carry with us the very likeness of God. We are, or better we can be, either windows to the divine or windows of the divine. And if this is true, and I believe it is, the implications are life-changing. Where do we see the face of God? Where do I see the face of God? God is everywhere in everyone, in everything, all creation, all life, all resources. We are God's image holders, God's carriers of all we possess is a gift from the Creator. We know that intellectually, but that means all of our material belongings, all that we embody as our passions and our dreams, our intellects and our achievements, our failures, our talents, our abilities, all that we are. All is God's. The rub, or better invitation, is how are we working on the image that we reflect? Now, I can't speak for you, but I know I get caught more often than I'd like to admit by my ego and my fear and my insecurities. And rather celebrating the image in another, sometimes I become jealous or envious. Jesus' teachings however, offer us a different vision of society, one where we can no longer view things as the affairs of God and others as the affairs of humankind. This volatile debate between what is private, the realm of the spirit, and what is public, the realm of society, can only be brought together as an intersection as to what is God's, which means what we do in our private lives and how we act in our public lives must come from the same center, the same core, if there's to be any integrity or congruency at all. This means that God is as present in our business affairs as God is present in our acts of charity. This means that God is as present in the voting booth and the Oval Office and the Kremlin and City Hall as God is in the temple and the monastery and the church. This means that God is as present in the bedroom and the boardroom, 
that God is as present in the classroom and the city jail cell, that God is as present in a babbling brook as God is present on the busy streets. For to deny God's presence or ownership, if you will, in the secular realm of our lives diminishes God's presence in the sacred arena of our lives as well. For everything, everyone, all of life is from the Creator. For us who seek to follow this one God, we're to be the ones to usher in through our living and our loving, our spending and our voting, our praying and our playing the reality of the vision that Jesus gave us. And I believe the easiest way to do this is with intentionality, looking for the face of God wherever we are. For the image we reflect is the image that we see. There's a story of a parent who punished his three-year-old daughter for rolling up, for wasting a roll of gold wrapping paper. Money was tight, and he became infuriated when his daughter tried to decorate a box for no apparent reason. Nevertheless, the little girl finished her project and brought the wrapped box to her father the next morning and said, Daddy, this is for you. He was embarrassed, mortified over his overreaction, but his frustration flared again when he opened the box to discover it was empty. He scolded her, honey, don't you know that when you give someone a present, there's supposed to be something inside? His daughter looked at him very slowly with tears in her eyes and said, Daddy, it's not empty. I blew kisses into the box for you. He was crushed. He put his arms around his little girl and asked for her forgiveness. For years, he kept the box alongside his bedstand, and whenever discouraged, he would take out an imaginary kiss and remember the image of his little girl giving it to him, saying, this is all for you. God's image and face is so close to us, often we miss it, my friends because we're not looking for that image, either in others or in ourselves. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and give to God what belongs to God. Take my hand and lead me to salvation. Take my love, for love is everlasting. And remember the truth that once was spoken, to love another person is to see the face of God.